<laughs> but it's, it's just wonderful. Just, to, just And imagine, you know, we, we only can imagine, as the song says, what it's going to be like in eternity. But we get glimpses, we get taste, little taste and tidbits of it here, and I'm so thankful for that. All right, we are going to continue uh, our study in Romans chapter 6 this evening. Uh, last week, I think we went from uh, 6.14 through 22, and tonight we'll be looking at specifically at verse 23. But if this is uh, part two of uh, a two-part teaching in it called Two Plates. As I read the Bible, I find that there are verses that are standalone verses, at least to me. They're, they're standalone in a way that... They sum up great truths in a few words and a single sentence. They say something that just opens our eyes, it, it calms our heart, it, it gives us strength or direction or, or whatever we might need at that moment. And a single verse can reach deeply into the soul. A single verse can do that. I remember Pam and I, when we were before Christ, we were searching and we were caught up in Hinduism. And... Um, then I read Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews 9.27, and it says, For it is appointed for men to once to die, but after this the judgment. And that one single verse just illuminated the falsehood of everything else that we had been following. And from there on, the rest is history. Father God, we're so thankful for we have more than one verse. We have the entire word of God that you have ordained to give to us that we might know and grow in grace and truth. So, Father, uh, this evening, we're here, and I know there's some here with heavy hearts and some here with tired bodies and some here, Lord, with, with other things that are going on, but here we are together. And so, as only you can, Spirit, we pray, just minister to our hearts and our minds and to use this vessel as your vessel for your glory, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. President Calvin Coolidge, he was well known for being a, a man of few words. He was uh, straight to the point, and he was restrained in his answers when he would talk to people. And there's a story about him. One day after church, uh, somebody came up to him and said, well, um, Mr. Coolidge, what did the preacher preach on? And he said, sin. And the person said, well, what did he have to say about it? And Calvin Coolidge paused for a moment and gave some thought to it and said, he was against it. <laughs> now, I say that little story just to remind us that we know if you've lived long enough that things in America have changed radically, and even in the church. And there was a time not so long ago when pastors from the pulpits across America would boldly and without restraint preach on sin, teach about sin, and teach against sin. And they wouldn't shy away from that topic, from that subject. It's in the Word of God. And when that is faithfully preached, sin biblically preached, when the teaching of the Word of God is done, then the people of God, and yet, and even the unsaved, will hear this and they will feel the weight of their own sin either in practice or in planning. You see, there was a time when most people 
had an understanding of sin. But today, I think you'd be hard-pressed if you did a, a man on the street and walked along some busy street and got a hold of anybody under 45 and asked them, do you sin? They would probably look at you and say, sin, no. I might make mistakes. I might do some things wrong, but I don't sin. Now, we have been studying. We know that we've been set free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And we know that eventually someday from the presence of sin. Yet we know that until that time, we are exposed to sin. We're surrounded by sin, not only inside ourselves, but just around us. It's there. And because of that, uh, we have to make some choices in regard to righteousness. The good news is, as we will read this evening and be reminded of, in chapter 6, verse 18, we are reminded, and having been set free from sin having become slaves of righteousness. So we are reminded that we have been set free from sin, and now we are slaves of righteousness. And in verse 14 of the same chapter, we are told that sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So though we're surrounded by it, and though we're prone to it, it won't have dominion over us. And as we are even reminded, I'll say it again, but we're reminded during worship, we're not condemned We're not condemned. But we still have choices to make as we live in this world. Verse 15 of chapter 6, we're we're told that, and the question is asked, do we now have the freedom to knowingly sin occasionally, knowing the fact that we're not under the law but under grace? And Paul says, God forbid. No way. Back in verse 13, we were reminded, do not present yourself as members of instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. How many here has ever played an instrument? Okay. How many here have used a tool in working? Okay. Those are all instruments. Some make music, some make objects, but they're instruments. And those instruments, um, I, I, I played clarinet, in band, and sometimes it sounded good, and sometimes it didn't sound so good. But regardless, our band instructor was pleased when we did our best with what we had. Sometimes he wished we, we had more, but regardless, I just remember him sometimes. But we present ourselves as instruments of righteousness for God. Not for anybody else, really. People are blessed by it. But we do it for him and him only. Uh, there's that old saying, uh, I, 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 uh, I perform before an audience of one. In verse 16, again, to whom and to whatever we present ourselves as slaves to obey, we then become that one slaves, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. There is this presence of sin around us that is obvious. And there's this tension as a Christian, as we live in this world, there's a tension between who we are in Christ Jesus and where we are in Christ Jesus. We live in this world, and there's a tension, these temptations, uh, these, these things coming our way all the time. And, and I reminded us last time that as those temptations are coming to us, and I opened up last time reminding us of two plates, and so we're going to continue that theme tonight. There's two plates presented to us, and one of the plates is not even an option. 
to sin and unrighteousness. There's not even an option for us as Christians. It might be presented to us, but it's not an option. I mentioned last week one of the best pizza places in the world. Gold Dust Pizza in Sutter Creek. And if you, again, if you took a plate and put on that a nice piece of Gold Dust Pizza to me, and then on another plate, took a handful of dog poop. And But this dog poop was from a purebred English Airedale Terrier who had the breed, who had the papers, who had uh, the records to prove that he was purebred. There's only one option. The other's not even an option, right? I mean, that's just the truth. And how sin is presented today comes that way. It comes to us, it presented, it's presented to us, it is promoted to us by experts, by people with papers and degrees, uh, presented to us with degrees and letters being for and after their names. And I just want to remind us that no matter what they say, if it's contrary to the word of God, it is not even an option for us. Not even to be considered. So let's stand, if you can, as we read verses 20 through 23 of Romans chapter 6. Give it some context. Romans 6, 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards of right to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting in that time of the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become a slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for that. Now, Lord, let our hearts be open and receptive to what you have to say. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It was 1973, the world-renowned psychiatrist at the time, his name is Carl uh, Meninger, and he wrote a book called What Became of Sin? This is a secular man. What Became of Sin? He predicted, this is 1973, he predicted that day was coming when the word sin would no longer be in our vocabulary. He said that sin and wrongdoing then would be reduced and replaced by rationalizations that would excuse individual accountability. Words like sickness, words like disorder or dysfunction or syndrome, he said, would replace the word sin. In his book, he predicted that practically everybody eventually would be considered sick and their conduct thus pardonable. In other words, people would just become victims of circumstances beyond their control. Now remember, this is from a secular man who saw these things coming. This was 1973. Some of you in this room weren't even born, but I were. But the Bible was long before that. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 24. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, 
as fire devours the stubble and the flames consume the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. We live in a time when words and names of uh, the meanings have changed. For instance, uh, some humorous ones. Uh, people would sometimes be called ignorant. Well, today, that would be called somebody who's factually unencumbered. Or a loser would be called a uniquely fortunate individual on an alternative career path. Somebody who's obnoxious has been changed to be more subtle and easy to take to charismatically impeded. And on and on, we can see things changing in that way. You see, there was a time when we would disagree with somebody, and then in that disagreement, they would say to us things like, well, that's your truth, this is my truth, that may be true for you, it's not true for me. That's just your interpretation. But listen, things have gone from bad to ugly over the years. From bad to ugly. Because what happens, when words change their meaning, when definitions change, then this happens, it impacts and, and, and impedes the truth and communicating the truth. Today, any disagreement with those in power and the political narrative that might be present at the particular time, or now that disagreement is called hate speech, or that disagreement is called misinformation, and therefore it, has, it cannot be tolerated and has to be silenced. There's an old uh, saying in, in uh, uh, po politics, basically, that if you control the language, you can control the argument. And, th and that's true for uh, giving the truth out, as well as for lies that go forth. Biblical words and, and their definition have been hijacked in this woke society that we live in, and it makes communication to those in darkness almost impossible. I say almost impossible, because we know that with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. Normal seasonal yearly decades-long, centuries-long weather patterns used to be just normal, and now it's called climate change. And that's not bad in itself, but when it's used, something normal, a weather pattern, a change, a drought, when it's used to have a different definition, a different impact, to control people. And, and climate change is vague. Remember, it used to be we were going to freeze to death and back in the 60s, and then we were going to roast to death, and now I said, well, let's just put it all under the umbrella of climate change. And so it's purposeful because it's vague, it's ambiguous, and that way it can, it can be applied to any particular time and moment that is appropriate for them. So if we disagree with that, we're called climate deniers. Well, it's not really true. I'm not denying climate. I mean, it's raining today. I'm just denying what you're saying about the climate. Or today we have the practice of chemically castrating boys and girls and butchering and mutilating their young bodies, and it's called trans health care. First of all, it is impossible for a man to become a woman and a woman to become a man. Uh, we were made in the image of God, male and female. You know that. You've been taught well. And, and, there's, and the second of all, it's not health care. 
So the words have been changed and manipulated. And if we don't believe that, if we don't parrot that back, then we're bad. We're haters. It was, um, I don't know, within the past couple of years that we had a new Supreme Court justice added to the Supreme Court. And as she was going through her time before the Senate, she was asked to define a woman. And she said that she couldn't define what a woman was because she's not a biologist. So because of that, nowadays the word and the person of woman becomes vague and ambiguous and unclear, and thus those kind of things just cause confusion. Let's remember Zechariah 4, 6, as we face these things, as we have to deal with these things as children of God, not by might nor by power, but by, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You see, today's sin, if we say sin, it would be dismissed as something old, something out of date, something archaic, something mean and judgmental. But the truth is, what they would call judgmental, the Bible saying, no, this is discernment. And that we would be called hateful to say somebody is sinning or somebody is practicing a sinful lifestyle. In Romans 6, 23, we're told, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus. Would you agree with me that we live in a very foolish world? Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at sin. They mock at it. Proverbs 10.23, To do evil is like sport to a fool. Proverbs 30.20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and she wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong or no wickedness. And Jude 1.18 tells us, says that mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. And we see that just blatantly in front of us. So sin has become trivialized and has become... Uh, now an exclusively a personal matter, a personal definition, and no longer a biblical definition. And all of that that I've said about what the world has done is a lie from the pit of hell. So, we read in our text that there's fruit produced. And in verse 20 through 22, Paul presents, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you now are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. What fruit? Paul asked the question, as you were in your old days a slave to unrighteousness, a slave to sin, what fruit did you produce? What fruit did you get? And remember, I, I, I told us last week, all of us as Christians, and especially if you've lived long enough, you've done, we've all done things that we would rather not remember. We would rather not even communicate to anybody uh, that we are even ashamed of. Um, but thanks be to God that we, don't, we might be ashamed of those things, but we're not condemned of those things. Those things... Thanks be to the Lord, when I look back and the way I lived and thought and acted, if that had been left unchecked, were it not for the grace of God in my life, 
it would have been death. But as again, I just want to say, it's better for us to be ashamed of something of the past and not condemned, and then to be not, than to be condemned and not ashamed. So contrary to popular teaching and belief, we cannot live a life today in this world without consequences of the good and bad choices that we make. There are consequences to those things, but that, that's being taken away too. But the truth is, regardless, there are. Remember, we mentioned last week in Deuteronomy, God is setting before his people. He says, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursing, and then the Lord makes it clear, choose life. Choose life. Because if they were as dense as I am, I need that. Because God can say, here's cursing, John, and here's life. Here's blessing. Here's death. And I would go, I don't know. He'd have to tap me on the shoulder and say, John, you need to choose life. Wake up, young man. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. What a great promise we have. And then in verse 22, we're reminded that now we're in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the power of sin in our life. We become slaves of God, which is a great exchange. And now we have fruit in our life. And that fruit is to holiness. That fruit is to God, his glory. And the end, we're told, is everlasting life. So two plates. I believe Paul and and men are speaking is presenting two plates. plates. And verse 23 of chapter 6 is one of those standalone verses for me. And And I pray it hasn't become some trite, commonplace Christian slogan for you, a bumper sticker or a a magnet on the refrigerator, uh, other than the powerfully simple and simply powerful verse that it is. Paul has presented his case to Christians. He's made his appeal to us as Christians. Don't return to the old master, right? He says, don't do it. We're now slaves of a new master. So he wants us to consider two plates, One is the wages that are earned by those in devotion to sin versus the plate that has the free gift of God to those who are in Christ Jesus. When the word and the reality of sin and its biblical definition is no longer valid concerning what people are doing against God, then what happens is this people will no longer see or understand their need to be saved from the wages of sin. As it stands today, and as I look at, at the world and listen to what's going on, it seems like the enemy is controlling the language, thus controlling the argument. Sin has been softened. For instance, sometimes sin is just a crime or bad behavior. And if that's the case, then the solution is just basically men can deal with it with uh, more laws. Or sin can be a sickness. If that's the case, then medication is needed. Or sin is called a dysfunction. 
And then if that's the case, if that's what only sin is, if it's a dysfunction, then therapy is all that's needed. If sin is a disorder, then counseling and coaching would be needed to get that person back in order. And if sin is a syndrome, then a psychiatrist might be needed. But if sin is much more serious and deadly, then any of those words would be used in its place. What we read in chapter 6, verse 23, is universal and applies to everyone. Well, you talk about being inclusive. And there's a choice there. Remember, we're told in chapter 3, verse 23 of Romans, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. All. But then I can say that to a non-believer, and they might say, what? I'm not harming anybody by the way I'm living. I, I, and what do you care? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads is the way of death. Again, other people would say, my life is good. I'm a good person. I'm enjoying life. I'm not a sinner. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. And yes, I can say, just as I can give witness of my own past experience to anybody who is continuing to sin, yes, it might be pleasurable for a season. It might seem like it has benefits right now. But remember, Hebrews uh, describes Moses. Uh, can you see Charles Heston now? He's deciding. And it says there that he preferred sharing the burden of God's people to enjoying the temporary advantages or pleasure of sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, the whole section there tells us that anyone who's in Christ Jesus, who's not in Christ Jesus, is dead in their transgressions and sin. And it goes on to say that we're conducting ourselves according to the lust of our flesh. That's what we're doing. That's, that, that's our driving force and that we are by nature children of wrath. Excuse me. But the Bible tells us that sin is serious. And one of the most serious things that sin does, it separates. Because again, in Isaiah 59.2, we're told that sin, our iniquities separate us from God. Separate us from God. In fact, in Ephesians 5.8, again, we're told that before Christ, we were not just in darkness, we were darkness. But let's consider the good news of the grace of God. In Romans 5.6, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Romans 5.10. Yet the proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And then again, our scriptures for tonight were reminded that in verses 20 through 22 of chapter 6, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But, but now... Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you, 
you have your fruit to holiness, and the end is everlasting life. Sin is a very hard taskmaster. Sin will exact its due on a person. There are two very contrasting things that he says in verse 23. In verse 23, there's a contrasting of the wages of sin is death to the gift of, of God, which is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Right now, as you read that, sin is given a is personified as a slave a slave driver, a, a, a person who owns a slave, who who he's a slave driver who gives out wages for a day's work, like a Roman officer would give out the soldiers their daily ration for the day. Before our salvation, we yielded ourselves. There's no doubt about it to sin, and because of that. In the darkness that we were, we were servants of sin. And at the time, I thought I was living the life of Riley. That might be too old for some of you, but it used to be a TV show. <laughs> but at the time, I'm living, consuming myself on, in my flesh. I'm actually storing up myself. I'm earning the wages of sin, the Bible says. I, and, and, and what I was earning wasn't exactly what I expected to earn. It's a hard, cruel taskmaster sin is, and it will, it will have its servants served to the final payday. Clark said this in his commentary. He said, every sinner earns this by long, sore, and painful service. Oh, what pains do men take to get to hell? Early and late they toil at sin, and would not divine justice be in their debt if it did not pay them their due wages? So we have the wages of sin is death, but then we have the gift of God, eternal life. Gift is from the Greek word charisma, which is the, the root for grace. It's a gift. Which it means if it's a gift, it's free. We're told it's the free gift of God to us. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, it's what? The gift of God. Gracious gift of deliverance from sin that God did on our behalf. This new life that exists right now and forever from this point on. And the quality of that life that we have is found in Christ Jesus. It's found in him. Verse 23, again, the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And notice, our Lord. That, that's a, a wonderful thing for us to hold on to. Because of that, we belong to him. He belongs to us. And he is our Lord by our own free will and choice. And now because he's our Lord, that means he's Lord over everything from top to bottom, inside and out. And our eternal life is real because it's in Christ Jesus. In his priestly prayer, in John 17, 3, Jesus said this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now I want to look just a little bit closer at verse 23 of this contrast. We read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a contrast we see there between death and life. And that's a contrast where you might expect. Death and life, life and death. It kind of just rolls off the tongue. And if I was to stop you in a hallway someplace and say, 
What's the first thing that comes to your mind after I say death? You might say, well, life. That just is a common flow of things. But then there's this contrast we see between the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Sin does not seem like the opposite would be God. It would be, from the human point of view, it would seem like it would read this way. For the wage of the sin is death, but the free gift of righteousness is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin and righteousness seem like they would correspond to each other. But that isn't how it's written. That would be how it was written if Paul had not been moved by the Holy Spirit. Because what he's trying to get across here is that even though righteousness would see the opposite, the, the correct opposite of sin, righteousness if we said the free gift of righteousness is eternal life in Christ Jesus, then we, being the stinking little sinners that we can be, would think somehow that I can work my way and, and make things better. But he doesn't say that. It's not good works that leads to salvation. Titus 3, 4, and 5, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but what according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So moved by the Holy Spirit, Paul pins here, for the wage of the sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that is to reemphasize what the Bible says throughout, that life comes from God, and only from God. The old master shamed us, but our new master loves us, makes us holy. So, in conclusion, I would say to anybody who might be listening to this, if I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. But anybody who's not and is listening to this, consider there's two plates. One is life, one is death. One is the free gift, one is the one you have to earn, and the end is going to be death. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. To, to the church, I want just to remind us, because I spent some time at the beginning of this talking about language change and word change and meaning change. And we, folks, need to take the language back. We don't need to give in to calling a him or her and her or him and all of these other word and changing definitions that are going on. We need to take the language back and use the biblical definitions and the biblical teachings according to life. And in doing that, we just present the truth. When Pam and I were coming out of Hinduism, the Lord put into Pam's path, a, a lady she met at the park, and they were both were pregnant, and uh, uh, Susie and Bob Williams. They were Christians, and they found out we were weirdos. And so they started loving on us. And, and what I'm saying is he did exactly what he did. He just presented the truth. He would stop and talk with us and talk with me, and he'd say, John, what do you think happens to you after you die? And, and I said, well, you'd be reincarnated and you would uh, just go on and on for, you know, time after time until you get it right. 
And then he would listen to me and he'd go, well, that's interesting, but the Bible says, and then he would quote a verse. He wouldn't argue with me. He just would quote the verse and leave it with me and say, I'll see you later and drive away. Then the next time he'd do the same thing. He'd ask me a question about God. Who is God? I said, well, God is everywhere and everything. A concept. He goes, well, that's interesting, but the Bible says, and he'd quote two or three verses, and then just leave me there with those verses. And it did its work. <laughs> present the truth. And as we present the truth, we're not concerned about winning the argument. We're concerned about winning the soul. Because as I used to be able to, and people too, they can tell whether we're really concerned about them or we're just concerned about being right. And lastly, for us, just rest in the truth of God's word. Just rest in it. No matter what the noise outside is saying, contrary to what God's word says, we can just rest in it. And concerning the worldly word changes and altered definitions and philosophies of the world and all this crazy stuff that's going on, this woke theology that's being force-fed in our culture today, I only have one verse to say to that. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Amen? So, Father God, we're so thankful that we have life eternal. And that life, God, is from you. It's something you've done for us and given to us. It's a free gift that we receive by faith. And, and, and Lord, you just bestow upon us so much goodness, so much grace, so much uh, forgiveness, God, and, and, and just long-suffering. We, we're indebted to you, and, we're, and we're, we love you all the more for it. So now, as we go out from tonight and, and, and next week, uh, let us be your ambassadors. And let us consider others who were we were the same way that you dealt with us. Um, let us not back down, Lord. Let us stand. And let us stand firm in your truth, in your word. Let us not waver from what you've called us to and, and what you call us. We are your children. But let us do it, Lord, in this full of grace and truth. We pray, Lord. I know that each of us in this room know people, encounter people who do not know you. So let us be, Lord, your tool to work in their heart and mind that they might come to a saving grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and keep you.